0: Welcome to Buy This Comic, the show where you keep the vital and vibrant medium of comics alive by infusing it with your hard-earned cash. I'm your host, Jason Mojica, and this week we're joined by John Chad. Hello, John.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me.
0: (laughs) Thanks for being here. He is the writer and artist of Pinball, a graphic history of the silver ball, a gorgeous hardcover graphic novel published by First Second that is in stores now. We'll talk to John all about it right after this word from our sponsor. Comics, they're not just for grown ups anymore. Join the Hey Kids Comics Club, and every month we'll send you a new graphic novel for kids ages 6 to 10, plus a members only zine with lots of fun stuff in it. Go to heykidscomics.net to learn more. So, John. When did you get into comics? When did you get into pinball? And when did you decide that these were two great tastes that go great together?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I, growing up, I read comics, but I was not like a serious comics reader. You know, I I wasn't like fully up on Chris Claremont's X-Men or, you know, reading uh, Todd McFarlane's Spawn. It was coming out. Um, But I read a lot of the newspaper comic strips. I read a lot of Archie and Archie uh, Ninja Turtles specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't until I got to college and I was interested in like how I could use art to tell stories. And my partner at the time was like, have you ever heard of zines? And I was like, no, I've never heard of zines. She was like, okay, well, how much money could you spend on zines right now? Let's go buy some zines. I was like, oh, this thing I just heard of, I don't know, 20 bucks. And so we like scoured a couple of zine websites and it got me into, um, you know, of Inc., Microcosm. Um, and I really started to deep dive on zine and zine culture. And through that, I found out about like mini comics. Mm -hmm. I read like Jesse Redclaw, Nicole Georges, uh, clutch by Greg means and i really became invested and interested in the art form of the mini comic this kind of self published you know book that in in my mind had like a direct physical connection to these artists that i started to really admire and be inspired by mm-hmm. you know the idea that i could buy an eleanor davis book and like eleanor davis herself like worked on it from the inside out was just really really attractive um After that, I also simultaneously kind of learned about artist books in general, and I discovered this wide range of really incredible artist book creators that were making these like extremely avant garde, interesting books that were almost like more sculptural. Mm -hmm. Um, People like Julie Chen, Lois Morrison, uh, Barbara Tenenbaum, and like that I, I really decided like from those two things, like my kind of discovery of zines and my discovery of artist books, that like that's what I wanted to do with myself creatively. I wanted to tell I wanted to make books and I wanted to tell stories visually. And that's like kind of what drew me finally to kind of like comics as like the medium under which I would like to tell stories mm-hmm. um, um, and explore worlds and explore different topics. Um as far as pinball goes, um I kind of stumbled into it because I love Star Wars so much. Uh-huh. Uh, I was, uh, for a long time, I was living and teaching at a comics graduate school, the Center for Cartoon Studies in White River Junction, Vermont. And one summer we were running some summer workshops and my really good friend, Alec Longstreth, who is a great cartoonist and an even bigger fan of Star Wars than I am, (laughs) he spotted a Star Wars episode one pinball machine in a local pool hall. And he pointed it out to me. And I had played pinball before, but it had never really stuck. I, I, I never got to that point where it really got its talons into me. Um, but because we both loved Star Wars so much, and White River Junction at that time was kind of strapped for things to do for fun, mm-hmm. <laughs> we really became invested in this single episode one Star Wars pinball machine. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, um, we discovered just so much about the machine. There it turned out to be like a documentary all about the machine and we just really really? started deep diving into pinball and pinball history um every time we would go to a comic book convention in a a city we would make sure to find a place to play uh we started taking road trips to various places in new hampshire uh just to play at these like bigger arcades Mm -hmm. um and eventually we kind of you know we were so enamored with pinball and we had so much fun kind of exposing our fellow cartoonists to it that we wanted to make something to contribute to pinball and neither alec and i or i we're not programmers we're not like fabricators we didn't have the know-how or the materials or the the resources to make a game mm-hmm. um we we didn't have the resources or space to like create an arcade Um, but we were both storytellers we were both visual communicators and we decided to take kind of what we love and know about comics and self-publishing and use that as a bridge to share our love of pinball and bring more people into it. Um, And that kind of took the form of a self-published magazine that we did uh, for a number of years uh, called Drop Target. And it was really in Drop Target that we both started really exploring using comics to talk about pinball. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is the very long answer to your very short question. Um, Probably, yeah, about 2010 is when I got into pinball and using comics to talk about pinball. Um, And I started doing comics back in like 2006, I think.
0: Gotcha. And then how did uh, this graphic novel project come about?
1: Um, If you get me like talking (laughs) um, for any like extended period of time, eventually pinball is going to come up, Uh Uh, especially if like I'm at a convention, you know, I'm going to be talking about like, oh, where's a place to play? Like, do you know a bar with a machine around here? Mm -hmm. And I, some of the people that I talked to about pinball uh, were people that worked at first second. Mm -hmm. And eventually they approached me and said, hey, you know, you always talk about this thing. You know, it sounds like it really has a really interesting history and you have a lot to say about it. Do you think that there's a book there? And I frothing at the mouth was like, yes, absolutely, <laughs> I would love to draw 200 pages about pinball. <laughs> um, so I think it was really, you know, my love of pinball has always been just that—it's it's love. This is a community and an art form that has provided me so much happiness and joy in my life, and all I want to do is reflect that love back at it. And you know, this book. Everything I make about pinball um, kind of boils down to that. It's just my love of something that I just find so enjoyable and interesting.
0: Yeah, that enthusiasm really comes through because I have to confess that I'm usually quite skeptical of nonfiction, explainery type graphic novels. I mean, I feel like they rarely use the medium to its potential. You know, it can seem like I mean, it it can really seem like someone is pouring sugar on top to help the medicine go down. And, you know, I didn't feel like that when I was reading your book. I mean, I thought it was filled with dynamic visual storytelling. And I think what made it even stronger was that it wasn't just a history. It was also an illustrated impassioned argument about the greatness of pinball. And and it's hard. I, I mean, I was already you know, uh, nine tenths of the way there, but, you know, I certainly came away convinced that this was the greatest game yeah, sport yeah, it, that ever that has ever existed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it re- it really did turn into like, yeah, just a, a paper or a hardback version of me kind of like at a bar after a show, like passionately pounding my fist on the table, <laughs> like let's all go play fish tails, you know, or let's go find a monster bash machine. Um, and you know, it, it, there's not a lot of it, it's funny because like when I was first researching this book, it really I think played to a uh, uh, a crowd that was already interested in pinball. It, the mm-hmm. first version of the book was very much more like this is when the pop bumper was created. Here's who made the pop bumper. Let's look at the pop bumper in like excruciating detail. <laughs> Now, let's look at the you know the drop target mechanism. It was very much based on like the the industrial design and engineering innovations that made pinball possible. And I'm someone who's like very mechanically uh, oriented. I love mm-hmm. diagrams and schematics and and engineering and all that stuff. I really, really love it. Um, but that sort of book wasn't um, really approachable by someone who Maybe just saw pinball in an arcade once, or they flipped it a couple times and they didn't really have a good time and they don't know why.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so I decided that the, the more I worked on the book, the more it became about kind of the, that argument, you know, st- stating its case, trying to make space for it in an era where, you know, you can play a game with so many bells and whistles on your cell phone. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm, you could probably download some sort of emulator and play Mario 64, you know, some game in from the mid-90s that has much better graphics in, you know, like, gameplay, quote-unquote, um, or at least, like, user, user, or has much more complicated user interfaces than pinball. Mm-hmm. And so where does pinball fit in? Um, and why does it continue to fit in?
0: Mm-hmm. I'm curious what your favorite bit of pinball history that you covered in the book uh, or perhaps discovered in the making of it was?
1: I think probably one of my favorite bits. Uh, can I give two answers? Sure. Let's
0: have two. <laughs> uh,
1: the um, their, uh, um, When Harry Williams, who's one of the great innovators of pinball, when he was first exploring ways to stop people from Moving the machine physically, tilting it, he ended up coining the term for that. Um, th- uh, he he experimented with a lot of different things, and it was really funny to find out. It was almost these like Tom and Jerry esque <laughs> solutions to the problem. Uh-huh. Like in the book, I, I show them. He, he put spikes on the bottom of some machines <laughs> that people would and grab them with their hand. Can you imagine just like barbed wire on the bottom of a pinball <laughs> machine? Now, it just, I I just don't know in what universe he was like. Yep, this will work. Like this is. <laughs> Totally legal. Um, you know, putting the sandbags in the machine, you know, and, and finally coming up with the Sorry, kind
0: of why was the sand, why the sandbags again? Hmm. Why the sandbags?
1: Oh, same reason, just so that the, the, the machines would be harder to move. Okay. But you know, then it had the reverse effect of, you know, when a person who put a pinball machine in their drugstore or soda shop,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, in the thirties, when they wanted to then move it around their own store. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, th- th- they had a hard time. And yeah. so, you know, it becomes this balance, like what is something that will stop the player from interacting with this machine in a way that it's not intended, but then also still make it user-friendly. Mm-hmm. So th- th- that was like pretty comical. That was pretty funny to discover. Um, but then I think, you know, one of my other favorite bits of history is just when the flipper was created, you know, from being in pinball for so long, I knew that Harry Mabs was the guy that invented the flipper. Um, but I wasn't really uh, aware of the specifics. And you know he's working on this pitch and bat game, which is this old coin operated game where you put in your coin and you have a single flipper mm-hmm. that looks very much like a pinball flipper, except it's straight and looks like a bat. The ball comes right down the middle from something that looks like, you know, the pitcher's mound, and you bat the ball and you get one flip and you flip the ball towards a target. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, so he's working on a new pitch and bat game, and he's got the two wires of the pitch and bat, and he like barely touches them together and then they they come apart. And the flipper goes off. and it kind of goes on and off on and off as he's like accidentally touching the wires together. Hmm. And that's how he gets the idea like, oh, if someone could control the touching of those wires, uh-huh. then it wouldn't be just one flip, one long big flip like in a pitch and bat game. It could be this like controlled at will flip. And I just really think that there's something to me that's just like very um, satisfying about this idea that pinball kind of absorbs technologies into itself. Um, You know, whatever is kind of adjacent to it, it can kind of then bring into itself and turn into game elements. Solenoids are not pinball specific pieces of technology. Um, Solenoids. Are what make tattoo guns and doorbells and uh, uh, there's solenoids in a car, mm-hmm. um, but the kind of engineering creativity to look at a solenoid and think, well, how can I? How can this be part of a game? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's really cool. That's really exciting. I don't know if that's something necessarily. That's something like a board game does. You know, uh, people who are making. The people at Milton Bradley aren't kind of just like looking out the window at the technologies of today and being like, "Well, how can we put this into Monopoly?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And so there's, there's something that truly feels like, yeah, just kind of ad- adaptive and like multidisciplinary about that kind of approach.
0: Yeah, and you're right. And I think it. I don't. I think now that you say it out loud, I, I realize <laughs> that I enjoy like every iteration of pinball from you know. Old-fashioned machines, you know, that I antique machines that I get to play on occasion too. Like the latest with all sorts of new G-Wiz features. Like I yes. don't, I don't resent the new G-Wiz features. I think they're neat. Yeah,
1: I'm really big into, you know, I think people can be very nostalgic for certain eras of pinball based on when they grew up or when they were in college or you know what was in their local student union mm-hmm. or whatever. And I think that some of those games are incredible. Um, but I just think it's a healthy exercise to like really appreciate what the bells and whistles can do. What the what the what can those new things do that the old games can't? And what can the old games do that the new games can't? Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. kind of embracing both. Yeah. Uh, and not holding I, I try not to hold one uh, uh, version of pinball up as like the idealized uh-huh. perfect version of pinball. Yeah.
0: yeah. I and mean, not that magnets are new technology type- technology but i still remember the you know the first time i saw like you know the invisible flippers on twilight zone i was just like my mind was blown or the first time the ball stuck to the uh the magic trunk in theater of magic i was just like (laughs) you know it it made me gasp you know so it was cool um but you've actually had the opportunity to design a pinball machine and i wonder if you can talk about that experience and how it compares to making comics
1: i i didn't I don't want to take this away from the designers. I didn't necessarily okay. design the Jetsons machine, okay. but I designed the art package. Okay. You know, Designing a right, machine right. is a lot of geometry and gameplay design and and rules creating. And I would love to get the opportunity to do that. <laughs> I don't know if I would be good at it, but I would love uh-huh. the opportunity to get try my hand at it. Um, so when I worked on the Jetsons machine, um, that was a game made uh, by the pinball company and Spooky Pinball. Mm-hmm and they gave me a blank template like they had already come up with the geometry okay they are they gave me the rule set so i knew what the rules were and then it was a case it, my job was to take all of that and translate it into art for for a play field and the cabinet and the back glass that would help communicate the rules and atmosphere the mood and the characters of the game um and and it was tough and it, it, it certainly overlapped in the Venn diagram of like comics and visual storytelling, but there's all sorts of things that you know I felt unprepared for when I did the art for for the Jetsons machine. It was a real learning process, you know. Like um, I've made tons of posters for different pinball events. I know how to design a piece of graphic design so that it draws the reader's eye to a specific location, mm-hmm. um, and you could think at first blush, like, oh, well, a pinball play field is just a big poster or a big book cover. Um, but that's not true, because every moment of when you're playing a pinball machine, your focus is not necessarily on, this, on the title of the book, or you know, if we compare it to a book cover, or the, the, the name of the headlining band, if we relay it to a poster. Mm-hmm. Your eyes are constantly moving around. And so the design needs to be adaptive and communicative. It still has to have emphasis, but it also has to be able to like not absorb all of your attention at one particular moment. Um, and that was like a different type of design experience than what I had previously experienced. Um, you know, it, I also did not have experience working with a client that uh, um, had such Solid expectations of the IP
0: mm.
1: as Warner Brothers,
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> um, and they had uh, very uh, firm visual standards for how uh, things on the Jetsons machine had to look. Um, uh-huh. That was a, a difficult back and forth process. You know, I've worked on the IPs before, uh, um, like I did comics for Adventure Time and, and regular show, mm-hmm. and there was a lot more um, loose talons uh-huh. <laughs> than Warner Brothers had on the had on the Jetsons. Um I think one of the 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 difficult things about doing about working on a pinball machine versus working on a comic is that ultimately like when when you're doing the different stages of a comic like the thumbnailing the penciling the inking and the coloring I can put those different stages in the hands of editors and readers and they can have an experience with that work that is pretty adjacent to what the final experience would be like, right? They could even print it out if they wanted to. They can hold it at arm's length. They can flip it with their hands, flipping physical pages, and they could they could get a a simulacrum at least of what that experience is going to be like. With pinball, I did not know how this machine was going to play and interact with my art until the very second that I touched it and played play or put press the start button. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was that was tough. That was tough for me. You know, there's a part of me that wished that I could have somehow transpose the art onto something mm-hmm. so that I could like even if I had like used some sort of digital pinball making program just to like flip the ball and see how it would look with the ball rolling over the art um so that was that was a weird experience that was a weird experience not being able to see the entirety of what I was making until the very second that it was already submitted
0: uh, so where in the world are you based, John?
1: I am in Sacramento, California, which is about an hour, uh, hour and a half away from the Bay area.
0: Gotcha. And what's the closest place to you to pick up a copy of your book?
1: The closest place to me is probably, uh, capital books or uh, big brother comics. They're both in Sacramento. They're both incredibly lovely shops that I love very, very much.
0: Very nice. Um, Well, okay, so Pinball: A Graphic History of the Silver Ball is out now. Head down to your comic shop or bookstore uh, and buy this comic. John Chad, thank you for
1: joining us. Thank you so much for chatting. This was really fun.
0: Indeed it was. Uh, And and you listening in, please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on the social media. We are simply Buy This Comic, all one word. Goodbye.